Okay. <laughs> welcome to Crime by the Bar. Welcome, welcome. I'm Yonatan. I'm Anna. It's a very, very happy Friday. It is a happy, giggly Friday. Um, we're in quite high spirits and uh, we've been talking and there's a lot more talking to come because we have mysteries. Yeah, it is that mysterious time of the week, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I think right before the weekend. Yeah, it's very warm. It is so warm. We're giddy on the heat, perhaps. I'm not sure if giddy's the right word for me. Um, definitely for you, you're just glowing. Oh, it is. It does. <laughs> it feels good. Oh, yeah. The warmth suits me very much. Okay, we should get stuck in. Yes, I think so. Oh, dear. Um, Friday Mysteries. Friday Mysteries. Let's do this. Who is worst? I have no idea. Oh, of course not. You... <laughs> I this almost said I, for once, but you don't know what I'm doing this week. No. And um, I've actually told you the name of the case, even. What was the name? Okay, it's the Green Bicycle case. I don't think I've heard of this mm. at all. Uh, from the sounds of it, when I found it, I kind of dismissed it at first because I thought it was way bigger. Yeah. But, um, hey, if you don't know it, maybe not. I hadn't uh, heard of it before, but... It's hey. not the thing that happened in France with the family? No. No, then no. Okay. Is it bad? Are you going first? It's actually not that bad. There is a death. There's a death in mine. Is it gruesome? <laughs> is mm. it horrifying? Uh, do you want to rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first this Oh, week? yes, I can love okay. this. Okay, you ready? Uh, wait, uh, are we doing just so once? So we or? go one, two, three, and then you do it. So okay. it's like on four, yeah. except no one says four. Perfect. Hold on, I need to get into your mind. <laughs> Okay. Two, three, bow. Fuck. What does that mean, though? You won. I won, but what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> does that mean I go first? Or? I guess it means you can pick. Because <laughs> <laughs> seeing as we didn't work this out. Okay, I say you go first because evening the scales and everything. Okay. Hmm. That works for me. Okay. Do you know Mystery. what I'm doing this week? I have no clue. I mean, you heard me curious. listening to videos in Italian earlier. Was that Italian? Oh, you didn't recognize Italian. Okay. That makes me feel so much better about my faux pas a few weeks ago on the I whole. I barely heard. I think <laughs> my subconscious kind of just assumed that it would be something more Eastern. But yeah. No, it stops at Italy. Well, this is Italy. I have no idea what you're doing. So am I getting a clue in the form of a question? No, you're just getting smiles and looks. That's okay, all that's fair happening. Enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am talking about um, Ottavio. Okay, no, Ottavio Botteca. Mm-hmm. Um, ringing any bells? Not really. No. Okay. Um, he was born on the first of August, eighteen ninety-four. So a really long time ago. That is well, well over a century, man. Yeah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I'm taking you back to Italy. Ottavio, he came from like a pretty big family, nine mm-hmm. kids. Um, I think nine kids. I didn't write any of this down. I, so, so eight siblings-ish. Yes. Uh, okay, okay. And um, they didn't have much money. So he only attended school for one year and he, he was oh. illiterate. And um, yeah, well, I, I'm going to fast forward to the war. Um, oh. So 1914, um, Ottavio is 20. And mm-hmm. even though he's a strong socialist, um, very anti-fascist, he mm. ends up signing up for the Italian army. Okay. Yes. So throughout World War One, he ends up joining um, this unit whose name I didn't write down. Um, and it was a high mobility light infantry unit. And Basically, his job was to ferry messages and supplies on a folding bicycle um, to the front line. So we're talking like trench postman? Pretty much. Yeah. He also like, I mean, he did supplies as well as messages. But Mm. yeah, pretty much trench postman on a folding bicycle. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. And he was captured in like 1917, I think. Um, But he managed to escape. So, um, you know, he had he had a pretty good run of it being Mm. in the army. Like he served the for the entire war. Mm -hmm. And um, he was even awarded a bronze medal for military valor. 
So, yeah, he did all right. Well, that's understandable. Um, after the war, uh, so in 1919 it was actually, he moved to France and worked as a builder. By this point, he already had a wife and three kids. Um, so, yeah, moved to France for work, stayed there. He was a bit of a culture, if you know what that means. Uh, that's what we call it in Ireland. It's um, what? Say it again, He's like a country person, so he's a really strong Italian accent, but a, oh, okay. a dialecty dialecty okay it's a culture accent culture culture i don't know that's what we oh. call it um, no no, no I, I just want to learn the term because i haven't yeah. heard it i don't know if i should be calling an italian a culture because it's like irish countryside person but he's hmm. he's a countryside person and has a super strong <laughs> accent so he kind of gets the piss taken out of him a bit but you know fine whatever um mm-hmm. he doesn't have an easy time of it though and um he doesn't earn a lot of money, so again, they, they kind of struggle to stay afloat. And um, one of their kids dies uh, at the age of seven, which is pretty sad. I mean, it's not completely shocking in the early 1900s, but it's, yeah. They they didn't have a lot of money, and um, they were given a bit of a hard time in Italy. And by the time he was 27, he decided to move back to Italy mm-hmm. and apparently decided to become a professional cyclist as you do how i don't know i feel like it would be very much like coming home and saying hi i want to be justin bieber or something it's like first of all why and second of all is that realistic like it's i don't know he has experience in backing in the professional biking environment i guess no he's professional he He's a builder who ferried messages around during the war. Like, I mean, okay, you did a good job, mate. Here's your medal. But seriously? Um, like, it it seemed like a massive stretch. But yeah, 27, going back to Italy, wanting to become a professional cyclist. Um, so he ended up starting to enter regional races. This was 1920, 1921. And then in 1923, he, he did well in the regional races, by the way. He actually did win a few. Oh. Um, but yeah. Um at the time, the Belgians were the best cyclists in the world. So mm. it's like, I mean, it's good. But I mean, calm down, mate. Um, <laughs> and by 1923, he entered the Giro d'Italia. So the, the Tour of Italy, like mm. their answer to the Tour de France. It runs in May every year. And this year, it's actually currently running. It It's running from the 4th of May to the 27th of May. Oh, yeah. Totally. I It's really funny. I've gone from knowing basically zero about cycling to knowing way more well way more (laughs) actually i um i went to school with someone who's in the commonwealth doing cycling oh yeah and she's actually the nicest human being like like we weren't close or anything at school but she's one of those people she was yeah, she's only been training for four years and she's actually in the Commonwealth and she just, she's she's just great. You really made it sound like I was going to hold the bicycling against her. Like, no, she's actually no, really I just, nice. I, I'm just, sorry, I'm running a list of all the bitches I went to school with in my head. And oh, like, oh, okay. that, that's what it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> bitches and assholes everywhere. Um, but... No, she's she's just, she's one of those lovely human beings. Like, even if you wanted to, there's nothing you can say against her. Just, she's wonderful. Hmm. Um, So it's super cool that she's picked up cycling professionally. And she's actually, in the space of four years, started doing this. It's (laughs) it's pretty incredible. Anyway, so Ottavio um, enters the 1923 Giro d'Italia. Bum, 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 and places 11th which is actually a really big deal mm-hmm. um it's the highest placement of any cyclist without a team um, oh, okay. and it is a big race like aside from the tour de france it's like the biggest cycling race there there really is then that's quite cool yeah and like he's only been doing it for a couple of years so it's pretty badass hmm. because of of where he finished he did attract some attention and there was um one guy in particular that um really took an interest um you may have heard of him if you're into cycling um his name was Henry Pellissier. Um, he was a French rider. He, at the time, was on uh, a French professional team known as Automoto Hutchinson. Um, hmm. Automoto was a French motorcycle company, but they also sold their crap in Italy. Yeah. But, yeah, Henri was um, 
super excited by this guy and was looking for a new teammate, so convinced the team to take him on. And um, Automoto Hutchinson, the the team, were were really keen on him because um, having an Italian rider, they thought they might... um, it might help give the products a boost in Italy, mm. and yeah, so it 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 was looking pretty positive. Cool. Um, so this leads to Ottavio to move back to France again with his wife and kids. I already told you earlier he he couldn't even he couldn't read or write even in Italian, but yeah. um, he also spoke pretty much no French, and all of a sudden he's on a French team and mm. really having to interact with people rather than just you know being a builder over there um which allowed him to be kind of yeah a little bit more detached but yeah um moved to france again and started um that year he entered the tour de france so tour de france is held uh, in july of each year and the giro d'italia is may of each year um so he was only in the team a couple of months whenever he entered his first one Hmm. and he came second and this is at, yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. And the guy who won, his teammate Henri. So Ottavio finished a full half hour behind him, which isn't great, but I mean, all things considered, it's still pretty badass. Yeah. And for years before, it had been the Belgians who'd been winning these races. So it was the first time in many, many years that hmm. a French person had won the the Tour de France, and to have an Italian come second was was quite well shocking. And technically. I mean, if they're teammates, it's both of them winning, so... Yeah, so, I mean, it's all around great. Um, Just because I didn't know anything about the Tour de France, not really, other than, hey, why is this interrupting summer TV? Um, (laughs) And why are they wiggling so much? Um, But um, Tour de France is the one where you have the guy in the yellow jersey that's leading it. So Mm -hmm. they have the magical jersey that you put on and go, yo, I'm I'm doing well. Um, (laughs) So it's a yellow one for Tour de France and it's a pink one for Giro d'Italia. Mm-hmm. So the one guy who's leading the stage gets to wear that. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like prestigious, I guess. And for both races, it's done over various stages and it's over a long period of time and it's in different parts of the country or it can be over several countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 1923 Tour de France, the one where he came second... Um, it was only the 17th that had ever been held. It took place the 24th of June to the 22nd of July, and there were 15 stages. Um, and the distance was almost five and a half thousand kilometers. Hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty fast. Uh, average speed was almost 25 kilometers an hour. Oh. So it's pretty fast. It's faster than we cycled work. Yeah, and especially to keep it up for that long. The elevation is insane as well. Like, I mean, it's up and down and crazy shit. Or up and up and up. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, Henri actually said Ottavio would win the following year. Hmm. So, 1924 rolls around. Everyone's a bit skeptical, but also quite excited. The Italians are super excited to see what happens. Um, and Ottavio wins the first stage and is oh. getting the best time, so gets the magical yellow jersey. Hmm. As the, can you call it race? I guess you can call it, well, as the Tour de France continues, mm-hmm. um, they, they're traveling all over the country to, to between the stages. He traveled third class on the train to save money so he could send more money back to his family. Aww. And the whole time he would wear the yellow shirt because yeah. he was so proud. Oh, I just thought, dude. This is just such an adorable success story. Like sitting in third class with everyone else who's like, you know, trying to travel as cheaply as possible, wearing Mm -hmm. your your yellow shirt, Mm -hmm. not taking it off because you're, yeah. I think it's super sweet. Really is. Yeah, he he ended up finishing first. Um, And not only was he the first Italian to have ever done it, but he was the first person ever to lead start to finish. Hmm. So it was a really, really big deal. Then the following year, 1925, he does the same thing again. He leads start to finish. He also travels around third class in the trains like he's a sweetheart um someone's probably going to write in afterwards and say actually he did abc oh dear sorry didn't know that (laughs) um but yeah it's it seems super cute um then we go to 1926 so it would have been his third tour de france at this point he has a new teammate uh lucien bussy 
I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And and they were the clear favourites. Like there there was some debate about who was who was going to win, but um, yeah, between them they they were the clear favourites. You had the Italians behind Ottavio and the French behind Lucien, mm. and um, everyone was super psyched. Nice. It was a really long race, um, but it didn't get bad until the 10th stage. So um, Ottavio hadn't been leading this one, but, um, you know, he was doing fine. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time the 10th stage rolls around, there are thunderstorms. It's... There is a really awful quote. Where is it? It was described as apocalyptic because of the cold and the violence of the wind. He... Yeah, the 10th stage. Um, It was described as the toughest stage ever in the Tour de France. Um, There were 76 cyclists that started the race, which began at midnight. Mm. Um, And Lucien, uh, the teammate, um, won it. And it took him 17 hours to finish the stage. Whoa. Yeah. Um, It was almost half an hour later when the next cyclist came in. And it was an hour after that when uh, 10 cyclists had finished that bit. And at that point, the Tour de France organizers were starting to get pretty worried because these guys have been at it 18 plus hours and it's really, really Mm -hmm. bad conditions, pretty dangerous. Um, So send some cars out to to look for the missing cyclists. Long story short, in the end, um, 54 cyclists of the 76 did finish. And the the remaining 22 were were basically no longer in the race. Mm. Um, usually there is a cutoff time and how how much yeah how much longer it can take you to finish the stage yeah, against yeah, yeah. the winner. Um, they did extend it because the conditions were that bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still there were 22 yeah 22 that um, didn't didn't finish. Huh. And one of the cyclists who didn't finish was Otavio. Um, he all in all was described as being pretty broken over the whole thing. A lot of people said he was never the same again. Um, he no longer had it in him to train. Um, he was described as, as weeping like a child at a certain point. Hmm. Um, he, and it also, it really did affect his health by all accounts. Like, um, he, he said he was cut down by an illness afterwards. It seemed to be like flu, like symptoms. It just... It was bad all around and this was July and by winter he still wasn't in a good way. But, you know, he was fine. I think maybe it was more the emotional toll than anything else. Um, And he'd had a lot of criticism for how he'd sort of come in from nowhere, done well and like, oh, you didn't even try. It's sort of like... Oh, yeah. Horrible. So it it really hurt even more. He announced that he was going to retire. Um, the following year, um, his his teammate ended up winning. So Lucien okay. did win that year. Um, but yeah, the following year, he'd already made the decision to drop out. And um, before the end of the season, Lucien had said that I, Lucien, will win. He didn't say that, but you get the idea. (laughs) He said that he would also win in uh, 1927. But Automoto, the, uh, yeah, Automoto, the motorcycle manufacturer, they they had some really serious financial problems and couldn't afford to send a team for another two years. So Lucien actually um, didn't go back to um, compete in the Tour de France until 1929, at which point he didn't even finish. (laughs) So it was kind of... Yeah, okay, Ottavio didn't finish um, in 1926, and that was him out forever. During the apocalypse, basically. Yeah, yeah. but 1927 was Lucien's first and only win, Mm. and he was never going to have that again as well. So it's kind of sad in a way all around. So we're going to fast forward a bit. On the 23rd of May, 1927, Ottavio's brother, or one of his brothers, Giovanni, (laughs) was knocked down by a car while cycling in Italy. Oh. Yeah. Um, So Ottavio decided to to go back to Italy again um, and spend some time with his family and and Mm. mourn for his brother. But while he was there, of course, the Giro d'Italia was on. Um, And... Even though he said he'd retired, he was um, offered a position on the Peloton. You know what that is? No. Okay. I had heard the term once before and immediately gone, I don't really get it and don't really have the interest. (laughs) And in the spirit of the story, had to look it up again and then went, oh, and now I get it. Hmm. You know, whenever... Okay, so this is all road cycling, but you know, whenever you see the cyclists going around indoors on the twirly-whirly... 
Oh, uh, like yeah. a velodrome. Yeah, yeah. Why am I thinking autodrome? Yeah, but you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so whenever you have cyclists doing that, sometimes you don't start a race from being stationary. You start a race from already moving. Okay. Yeah, I know. This happens. And when they do that, mm. much like an F1 with a safety car, you have someone else going around that everyone's uh, going after. And apparently it's not okay to just put, like, uh, an electric rabbit out like you do with dog <laughs> racing. You... You actually have to have a dude on a bicycle or a lady on a bicycle mm -hmm. who acts as the peloton. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you for the safety car. That just made it really clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I have a few friends who are cycling enthusiasts. So the, the phrase was previously explained to me. And mm. the benefit is the peloton sets the pace. And it means that everyone can actually already be going at a pretty hardcore speed. Mm -hmm. um, and you should all be more or less the same level of exhaustion. And mm. then they go, go. And it can either be, um, it's usually laps. I think that's my understanding that with, um, what do you call it? it? I keep thinking autodrome. Velodrome. Velodrome. Thank you. Because autodrome is cars, right? I, would I assume. assume so. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen it for cars myself, to be honest. Anyway, but... Um, They'll, they'll do a certain number of laps and then the leader, once the leader crosses the line, then it's sort of whenever everyone else mm. does. But they, they have a similar thing, apparently, in the Giro d'Italia. They, they'll have a guy at each stage who, um, who leads the pack and then the race begins and the, the peloton disappears. Okay. So, Ottavio went back after his brother's death on the 23rd of May and by the 2nd of June, he's still in Italy and he is a peloton at the Giro d'Italia. Um, it was it was just for one stage, but it did cause many people to speculate, well, some people to speculate that maybe he was going to participate um, the following year or maybe he was going to participate in the Tour de France. Mm. Um, so it was kind of, you know, it was pretty surprising considering he said he wasn't going to be involved in any of this stuff anymore. The following day, the 3rd of June, he had risen at dawn and asked for a hot bath to be ready for him whenever he would return home in three hours. Um, he was going out for uh, a cycle. He rode to his friend Alfonso Piscini's house. Um, they were going to go training together. They, they often did that. And whenever he called to Alfonso's house, um, Alfonso said that he didn't want to go and he changed his mind. So Ottavio went on to see another friend called Ricardo Zil. But Ricardo hadn't made plans with him and, and didn't fancy it. So fine. Um, Ottavio went out on his own. Hmm. This is where shit gets a bit not so nice. Mysterious. Oh, gruesome. Um, well, let's see how it plays out. Um, at this point, things become a little bit muddied. Um, what we know is a farmer outside um, a village called... Pionis, um, which is not far from Ottavio's home, um, found him on the roadside. Um, his body was in a pretty bad state. He was bloodied um, and he was lying out next to, to a vineyard. Mm -hmm. um, didn't know what the deal was then, but it turned out um, he had a fracture at the base of his skull, a broken clavicle, by many reports, some other broken bones, as well as a lot of bruises. Mm. And... Then there's also some mixed reports about what had happened to his bicycle. Some say it was neatly propped up against a fence. Others say it was on the roadside or on a verge. But all reports say it showed no signs of going through a crash or any kind of damage. Hmm. There were also no skid marks to suggest a car had uh, forced him off the road or or swerved or anything. And um, I'm assuming it wasn't at the foot of a very steep mountain either. No, mountain roads, but like it, no, like... Not flat, but relatively consistent. Uh, no broken parachute involved. No broken parachute. No. Nothing, so, yeah, nothing weird. Huh. Um, there is more detail, but the official story was that he'd suffered um, sunstroke and smashed in uh, into a fence. Huh. Which, yeah. Yeah. No. No. Um <laughs> So um, this farmer finds him. Ottavia ended up getting carried to a nearby inn. He was put on a table and a priest called Don Dante Negris um, okay. was, was called and, and gave him his last rites. From there, he was taken uh, to a hospital in Gemonia. 
if I'm saying that right. And he ended up dying uh, 12 days later. It was the 14th of June. Um, he, he basically slipped into um, unconsciousness when he was at that inn and he never regained consciousness again. Oh. Um, so they, they never got a story from him. Um, so Don Dante Negris, the, the priest who gave him his last rites, um, was pretty convinced and pretty vocal about the death being because of the fascists. So oh. we're going right back to the beginning again. Yeah, that was a big leap, but Wasn't okay. It? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the priest was totally convinced that that was the, the, the cause. Basically, at, at that point in Italy, of course, there was um, a lot of political unrest and um, the government was in the middle of a, a fascist takeover. Mm. And um, Ottavio had always been kind of outspoken about being socialist and yeah. also being anti-fascist and was a pretty big celebrity in Italy at the time. Like mm. he uh, he was the Italian cyclist, like he was yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah. And as much as he had the piss taken out of him for being a bit of a country boy, like there was a respect there. Mm. And yeah, I think at the time he was the most successful cyclist that Italy had ever seen. He also had his own line of uh, racing bikes, which still exist today. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, like it's a it's a pretty big deal. Um, oh. Yeah, super cool. And apparently they're <laughs> very good bikes. But he he was a big deal. And um, apparently, the fascist party were were already trying to promote him as Italy's great sporting hero and trying to suggest that he supported them. Mm. And um, there's some speculation that he may have been approached to essentially be a spokesperson for Mussolini and, and the fascist party and oh. uh, yay, fascism. And <laughs> please don't take me yelling that out of context. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, that's my ringtone. <laughs> and um, But yeah, the priest was like, totally on it for it. The fascists killed him. The fascists killed him. Um, and yeah, later on, like years and years and years later, there was an Italian immigrant in New York City who uh, who was stabbed. And as he was dying, he said that he was hired to murder this guy by the fascists. So really? Yeah, he said he'd been hired to murder Ottavio by, yeah. Okay, I, I was just gonna like, no, it, list it sounds stuff like, like dismissing all of this, but because like uh, from the fascist perspective, it mm -hmm. wouldn't make too much sense either, I guess. Um, I, we're not done, by the way, but like oh, no, I assume. Okay, sorry, sorry, I, I'm not. I'm getting ahead of myself. No, again. but it, I mean the whole thing is ridiculous. Um, the the um, Italian immigrant guy, the stabbed to death guy, mm. um, also gave the name of someone who was involved in hiring him and they tried to track down that name and they couldn't find anyone who existed and hmm. the whole thing was super dodgy. And the priest, uh, Don Dante, he died in... Ooh, yeah, he died in 1973 and also reconfirmed, like just totally reiterated the whole thing about the fascists killed him from his deathbed. Like, why would you even bother? Like, talk about something to do with you. Um, be a bit more self-involved, dude. You're the one dying. Do you want your last words to be about someone else? Well, apparently so. Um, it is more quotable. And look at us now talking about him today. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the guy probably did have game, as it turns out, whenever it came to celebrity. Um, mm. But... There was more speculation about how or who might have killed him. So the farmer also had a deathbed confession. The farmer who found him. Um, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Sorry, this is just like, this is turning into a soap. I know, I know. Um, here's a quote from the, the farmer as he was dying. He said... I saw a man eating my grapes. He'd pushed through the vines and damaged them. I threw a rock to scare him, but it hit him. I ran to him and realized who it was. I panicked and dragged him to the roadside and left him. God, for uh, God forgive me. Um, now, there are some serious issues with his uh, confession. Wait, so, uh, he's confessing said, that he basically threw a rock. And killed him and then tried to cover it up by dragging him to the roadside. So... I guess um, Ottavio propped his bike up on a fence and then hoked, went into this guy's vineyard to, to pick grapes off and the guy chucked a rock at him. Um, except, like, 
Dude ended up with a fa- fracture at the base of his skull, as well as the cl- clavicle and other bro- mm. bones. Like, you're talking about more than just one rock being chucked at you. And it would have had to be a really big-ass rock. And it will be quite hard to throw it. So unless you're a shot put thrower, you're probably just going to bash someone in the head with it mm. rather than chuck it at them. Um, I mean, think about it. If, if you have a big rock, imagine having to be accurate with it and just just know mm. um and then there was also some mixed reports about where the farmer was and where the body was and there was a discrepancy of about 55 kilometers 35 miles um so that was a bit of an iffy thing but better yet this all happened what third of june yeah it all happened third of june when do grapes ripen when do they come into season late summer (laughs) the grapes would have been fucking grim like and otavio knows like like why just no like he's a country boy of course he's a country boy country boys know this shit you don't pick the grapes at this time of year pick the brambles like but seriously Mm. you why why would you (laughs) have you ever had an under ripe like they're not even grown properly anyway um i'm gonna stop ranting about the grapes but in all seriousness no one in their right mind would like push their way into a vineyard and start picking nasty un ungrown grapes off the vines it's it's just not gonna happen so it it really doesn't add up but yeah essentially that's my story my rant is over um i have nothing more exciting to tell you um but this is all we know yeah, this is all we know. The The official story remains sunstroke. Hmm. So what probably happened then, mm-hmm. we have the deathbed farmer who was <laughs> secretly working with the militant anti-fascist movement. Yes. The grapes were cover. Oh, And he nice sees someone cover. snooping around, ah. possibly looking for maybe a bike, bicycle pump or something he was out biking but he ah. thought he was looking for the stash of weapons he tosses or cudgels him or something he sees might have tossed one rock and then yeah yeah or just jumps him then sees who it is and like oh no this is our hero he's yeah. not even fascist shit takes the body thinking he's dead ah. drags it to like the neighbor's farm yeah as you do and possibly leaves it out in the road where either I, I haven't decided if there's another accident along the road after he leaves him while he's still alive and thinks he's dead or if the people on the next farm were like hardcore fascist sympathizers and that's why the priest was so adamant because the priest was working with the resistance really and they like wanted this. to finger them for the murder i really like this i'm not sure I, I, but I'm I'm totally on board. I'm totally on board. Um, I feel I have as much credibility as most witness statements here. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. Sorry. I I do like that. Like, you actually got me kind of into the bicycling, which I would not think would happen. Oh, dude, I'm uh, all into it, the bicycling. I mean, now. it was like a wonderful, like still humble but rags to riches kind of like success story. And like, he- the third up. class thing on the trains like yeah. that that absolute like it yeah, is so that, not relevant to the story but it really melted actually most yeah. of the cycling isn't relevant to the story um <laughs> well i mean yes building up the character of the I hero biker into it. i totally yeah. i'm on board with it but yeah mm. um i also really like the idea of <gasps> the priest's secret identity as well secret mission <laughs> I, I i think that's really cool and that could also be why he was so insistent on it's the fascists. Yes. Um, and he read the last rites. If he was like, no, he didn't read the last rites. That was the priest. Um, but anyway. Yes. No, the farmer. The farmer. Oh, the ah, priest said they the were the fascists, said, yeah, and yeah, yeah, he did yeah, yeah, the yeah, last but, rites. Yeah. No, I want the priest involved somehow. <laughs> well, the priest is just paranoid old socialist. Mm. What's your socialist perspective on it? Well. Oh. Socialist Sweden. That mm-hmm. I just like yelling that at you. Um, I think it's safe to say that he should have been skiing instead. In June. Yeah, it's the proper socialist mode of transport. Is it? I don't fucking know. I uh, well, I like that story. <laughs> I was thinking of something nice and Swedish, <laughs> and Kavi is freaking out. Oh, she just saw a ghost. Oh, sweetie. 
Or she sees someone on the roof. Do you think there's someone sitting on the roof? Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried that there's some dude sitting on our roof listening to us record the podcast. I oh. made a face earlier. I heard something there. I, I couldn't hear it strongly enough to like compare it to our previous little shakes and uh, creaks we've heard. But there was something. I mean, we, it's freaking me out. I mean, There's someone walking on the roof. I audience. sleep with the door open. Well, I don't anymore, but like I used to sleep with the balcony door open. Oh. Yeah. But now it's always locked and there are plenty of traps with sharp instruments. There are. Sometimes I just leave knives on the floor. Mm -hmm. Knives and Lego. Not to mention all the dogs. Yeah. And a really vicious cat. <laughs> I swear I hear that creeping. It's freaking the shit out of me. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. It'll make it stop. Where's the IMDb spoiler alerts for that shit? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, if that was the thing, I would be more freaked out about that than the creaky noises on the Yeah, roof. that's a fair point. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh. Um... But yeah, that that's my mystery for this week. The the only other thing is the guy was like he lived locally. Mm. Um he he was very well known and um you know people would have recognized him probably enough to recognize him from a distance. True. So true. just just FYI, love mm. the theory, probably exactly what happened. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a good one though, like very hard cut on the mystery, but I do like all the, like I said, the soap opera thing of like, and another deathbed confession, and here's another one. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a bit weird. All we need was a twin. Do you have any more speculation or questions otherwise? Not really. I do have. Well. A mystery. You do? Mm. Tell me your story. I shall tell you about, well, I already told you the green bicycle case. You keep saying this and it's starting mm. to irritate me because I definitely don't know what it is. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's fucking tell me already. I, I know. I, I guess it's uh, spoilers for the audience. Like I said, it sounded like this was a really well-known thing. But uh, as not. I dug into it more, I kind of realized at first I didn't think it was that much of a mystery. But hmm, uh, the more you learn, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. So I'm not quite as far back as you, well, when we're talking the beginning of the story. Okay. Uh, but it is almost a century. I'm going to 1919. That's all right. We're, we're pretty, yeah. Wow. Mm. Okay. Indeed. Th that was apparently the decades for bike stuff to happen. Mm. Mm. But I'm talking about Annie Bella Wright. Usually goes by the name Bella. She was 21 years old at okay. this time. And she lived in the village of Stockton, I hope. A short bit outside of Leicester. I, I, I like red Leicester cheese. <laughs> That's good. Um, I, I'm really crap with geography. It's in England. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> that's all we need to know. That, that's I don't, that's I, well enough. I think the only people who who need to know the specifics are people who probably already know where it is. True, true. But also, if you want to print a map next time, I'm, I'm all up for that. <laughs> I probably should, I, or do a hand-drawn one. I do like that. But uh, Bella, as we mentioned, she was a factory worker Okay. in this time. You, you oh, know the, but shit, back then? Yeah, but you, you know the turnover from... Um, from yeah. the Great War and all yeah, that. Yeah, we get rid of all the men folk. All of a sudden, ladies get their jobs. Mm -hmm. They're super psyched. They don't want to go back home and not have jobs. It's like, hey, I know how to make something other than a casserole. It's a bomb, and I've decided I'd like to make more of them. Um, <laughs> I, I love your pitch. <laughs> we should make a poster with that. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, not what happened. <laughs> th there, there were no bombs here, so she oh. was uh, primarily constructing tires. In a that's fine. That's oh, also yeah. important. Oh, indeed. Uh, it was in the rubber factory Bates St. Mary Mills. St. Mary's Mills. Okay. Sorry. Um, lots of apostrophes and... Uh, you did a good job. A lot of ownership in this place name or factory name. Yeah, I think they were taking the piss a bit. I think you did the best <laughs> with what you were given. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, so, yeah, factory worker. And she uh, pretty regularly traveled between work and home on her bicycle. Hey. Uh, and she was also known, like, as it was uh, following these times, she took a lot of 
stuff in her own hands as in you know doing errands and doing a lot of stuff out late and that wasn't as weird she's a badass lady yeah, pretty much um and she also had sometimes working late shifts so her biking around late at night wasn't that weird um so bella was apparently engaged to a stoker as in from stoke on trent stoke on trent the place What's a stoker? I, uh, I was going to ask you if you knew because I didn't. So apparently a stoker is someone in charge of like managing the fire for a steam engine. Oh, as in I did know this the flames. because I Pop the Magic this. Dragon had a stoker buddy, didn't he? <gasps> didn't he? I think he did. He I'm, did. I'm getting weird just like freeze frame flashbacks. I haven't thought of of the magic dragon in ages wasn't he like wasn't it all about drugs nah. that's what they they told us when we were teenagers Puff the magic dragon was all about well um, of course that hardcore say that. drug of marijuana <laughs> oh turns you all well i, I don't know or it was <laughs> hallucinating crack, dragons or it was crack cocaine i i would have assumed it was crack though yeah i'm not sure marijuana and crack cocaine back then seemed about as bad as each other so fair enough fair enough <laughs> uh, <laughs> But no, stalker. Uh, I do also like, which is way more apt than the uh, current usage, but they were also commonly referred to as firemen, which makes way more sense. To yeah, be honest. but also, seriously, sorry, that one's taken. It should be put out men. Oh, what do you call it? Snuff men. Like, snuff men, yeah. You know, like when you snuff out a candle yeah. or something. Yeah, that's what firemen should be called. We'll call firemen snuff men from now on, and we'll mm-hmm. call stokers firemen. Yes. For all the steam engines we have left. Done. Uh, but Bella also had at least one more suitor and had apparently told her mother that there was uh, an officer who had fallen in love with her, but that there weren't any really confirmed details there. Okay. However, on the 5th of July in 1919, mm-hmm. Bella died. Okay, this seems very abrupt. Yes, I. <laughs> you're being I'm intentionally abrupt, and you're looking out over your chin because you're tilting your chin up towards the sky and gazing over it at me while saying it. I'm very suspicious. <laughs> I had no idea I could do all of these things, but fair enough. Yeah, you're very. Um, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I shall retract my chinage, and I'm just giggling when I'm going to describe how she was found. Sorry, calming. Oh. Um, Bella was found at dusk by a farmer. So she was found just lying prone on the ground on a country road next to her bike. Uh, yeah. Her face was like all bloody and she had um, slightly deep marks across her cheek and jaw. Oh, sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, so the farmer, he kind of looked at this and assumed that he had had an accident while biking, crashed into the ground or the rocks nearby. Uh, but uh, he rushed to get to Leicester to... Some some help. Yeah, because I mean, probably didn't have a mobile phone in 1920. I'm gonna guess not. No. no. But um, so Bella was already dead, and I think he kind of knew. But he did manage to get a doctor, came to investigate. I mean, good because it's a bit shitty to go. Pretty sure she's dead. Probably not gonna bother. And yeah. Then, yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, doctor came, had the exact same conclusion. No, she accidental fall off her bicycle. So her body was sent off. They, they got some more people to help as well, including a police constable. Yeah. Uh, and they uh, uh, sent off the uh, body to uh, be temporarily stored in a nearby empty house shed thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the following morning, the uh, the constable I mentioned, Alfred Hall, he came back and he like had more of a proper investigation on the scene where they found her. Yeah. And... He found some weird things. Like there was a like a cattle gate, not too far off, but a bit off from where they found her. On this uh, cattle gate, yeah, the uh, constable hall, he found a blood smear on it. Oh, uh, and it's not from someone coming off their bike and heading into it and then sliding down it. It was a bit too far away from where her body was found for that to be any kind of natural thing. Okay. But he d- did still spot it. 
So he took a closer look in general at the scene where they found her, mm-hmm. dug around, and he found a bullet embedded in the ground. Ooh. Mm. So after this, he uh, went like uh, directly to uh, Bella's remains to inspect them. Yeah. And he basically just on his own, I mean... Uh, crime scene integrity wasn't as big a thing back then I suppose uh, but he yeah he kind of started washing off the blood from her face yeah uh, to take it because th- there had been it wasn't like ridiculously a lot but there was you know caked blood and you know how that goes I, I can imagine coming face first yeah off a bicycle it's not gonna be tight like I know what what it looks like if you fall mm. and like scuff up your knee it's like doesn't take a lot to get mucky and bloody and crusty and horrible. So that's why everyone assumed that. But as the constable started washing off, he found a bullet wound right below her left eye. Whoa. It's a pretty big one to miss. Yeah, especially for the doctor, I'd say. Well, I mean, he confirmed she's dead. That's half half his job done, right? Uh, I suppose. Definitely dead. Cause of death is wrong. Oopsies. (laughs) Oh dear. But yes, after this, they actually did a full autopsy and uh, concluded that Bella had been shot at close range. Are they sure this time? Pretty sure. Did they clean all the stuff away? Like, I mean, maybe there's a knife still stuck on the other side of her face or something? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry, I'm laughing, but it's a very fair point. Uh, but no, nothing else. They'd found an exit wound at the back of her head, though. Oh, so. How do you met him? Oh, whatever. Great hair, I see. Hair, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, okay, now I was very sure that it had not been an accident. Um, but uh, the officer also went back, of course, and like tried to find more clues, but there was nothing else on the scene. Okay. Uh, so the police started trying to retrace her steps for the Saturday evening when she was last alive. Or her wheels. Hey, hey. Hey. Mm. Steps, wheels, p- pedalings. I'm not sure. I don't know. You're you're looking at the tire mark. Uh, well, anyway, go on. <laughs> it's getting too complicated. Yeah, but so I mean, she had been going about during the day. So uh, as they managed to piece it together, towards the afternoon, Bella had been running a lot of errands, and after she had handed off some letters to the post office, she was going to her uncle's house in Gorby, which was about four miles from her own home. Okay, so fine by bicycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in the relative fineness of back in those days, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so the uncle, the police, of course, interviewed, and he told the police that she had uh, come into town in the company of a stranger oh. who also appeared to have stuck around and tried to join up with her after. So she spent about an hour at the uncles okay. and um, the stranger appeared to try to uh, rejoin her afterwards. Okay. So her relatives were initially worried that she might be stalked or something was afoot. Yeah. Uh, but Bella was very dismissive of the whole thing. And some accounts, witness accounts seem to indicate that they appear to be way friendlier than would have been normal for someone who just like met or ran into during the day or so. So there was something going on people think very possibly so mm-hmm. we have a what well, secondhand quote so the uncle said that bella had said that um as a quote oh him i don't really know him at all he's been riding alongside me for a few miles but he isn't bothering me at all he's just chatting about the weather oh no and she ran off by saying like oh if it gets boring i'll try to give him the slip this is the the classic of like dudes talking to you on public transport or wherever it's like got headphones in reading a book i i'm i'm switched off do not speak to me i have no interest but mm. also you end up in that i don't want to be rude yeah just be rude just be rude you in those situations you should be rude but yes seriously do you know how many times uh, i've been called a bitch for like doing that it's unbelievable it's fucking horrible as yes well. oh. Ugh. Oh, sorry need a drink for scumbags um but um but yeah so that was how she presented it but as i said witnesses said they looked a lot friendlier and the uncle did hear 
as she was leaving, mm-hmm. the guy, like, he, he wasn't hiding. He was just kind of creepily staying around outside of the uncle's premises. Yeah, it's not sounding great. Uh, no, it's not sounding great. But, like, when they, uh, when she left, yeah, uh, he kind of joined up with her and the uncle heard him uh, address her in a very personal way as... So they, you know, they must Bella. have and known each other in some way and maybe she was... It, it, it did not look like it was someone who she just had kind of went next to and chatted about the yeah, weather with. Maybe you just don't want your uncle to know anything about the dude you're banging, especially not in, in 1919. Yeah, when you're engaged as well. <gasps> yeah. Mm. Okay, uh, so th- that's that's kind of how it looks as they were leaving. Okay. Um, so they had like several independent witnesses, apart from the uncle, had seen this pair, the pair Bella and this man leaving the village together. Uh, the man was described as being between 35 and 40, wearing a grey suit, grey cap, black boots, and having a very distinctive pea-green bicycle. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. The green bicycle. Yes. Mm. So, after learning about this, uh, the Leicestershire police sent out several appeals urging this man to come forward and assist them with their inquiries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they reached out, but they, they didn't get any response at all. So the police tried to like go through, they were really focused on this bike man, of course. Yeah. Uh, so they tried to go through any place where bicycles were stored, sold, bought, repaired, traded, anything. Yeah. Uh, but they couldn't find any leads pertaining to this green bicycle. Okay. There was one bicycle repairman who had serviced a bike that kind of fit that description. But there were no, like, this was just a really brief cash transaction. Nothing could really be traced or not that many details and found. why would you remember? It's like, I, yeah. I, even if I remember the bike, I'm not going to remember anything about the dude or the mm-hmm. issue or about... Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, so they were kind of stuck. But in February 1920, the bike was found. What? Okay. There was a coal barge that was being drawn along the River Soar, <gasps> which back. is quite an impressive name for a river. We're back um, to the um, the firemen, the stokers. Oh, yeah. Connection. Nice. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Uh, but no, th- there was, okay, it was carrying coal, but uh, it was really, we're talking old school. It was just yeah, a barge that was floating and there was a dude with probably a horse or something that drew it with a rope. Okay. And this tow rope got caught on the frame of the green bicycle, which then was lifted up to the surface. No. Mm. So the police was informed and um, they made the decision to just drag the entire canal. And Interesting decision. They found more parts of the bike. Whoa. All separated. Uh, so the serial numbers had been filed off uh, on two places on the bike, but they did manage to reconstruct enough that they traced the bike to its point of sale. No way. And it was real that, hey, this is 1920, which is quite impressive. I'm massively impressed. I would not have thought that they ha- even had serial numbers on the bikes back then. Yeah, I didn't want to sound totally ignorant, but I was kind of going, <laughs> I mean, it's not a gun. It's a bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but apparently. Yeah. So they did trace this, and there was some proper proper record-keeping there. So they found yeah. out that this bike had been purchased nine years ago, or nine years prior, what? by yep. one Ronald Vivian Light. I'm so amazed by this. So mm-hmm. they actually managed to track it down, and then these guys happened to have the records yep. from nine years. Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. anyway. I mean, I keep my receipts longer than that, but yes, it is impressive. It's massively impressive. Also, I'm impressed by you. If there's any warranty (laughs) issues, then good. Yeah, you're sorted. I do keep them. Mm. (laughs) So uh, after this revelation, the Uh police brought in, uh, I think they actually arrested uh, Light uh, on the 4th of March uh, when they found him in uh, Cheltenham, uh, where he was working as a maths teacher. Okay. And... He was almost immediately charged with the murder of Bella Wright. Because he had a bicycle that may or may not have been the green bicycle nearby. Pretty much. I mean, but, that seems I mean, like a the, bit these, of a stretch. These were simpler times, though. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cool and everything. I, 
happy for for mm. the polis, but yeah. But we have more. So w- when he was brought in, Light just categorically denied everything. As you would. Um, and he stated like he had not been anywhere near Golby on the uh, date of the murder, uh, the previous year as well. Um, he had never met uh, Bella. He had never owned a green bicycle like the one everyone was fuzzing about. I mean, I was already suspicious when it's I wasn't there near that place on that date. Mm-hmm. Like, really, a year ago? I don't remember what I did two weeks ago, but yeah. fine. And also, never owned the bike. What about the receipt? Anyway. Which is what the police said. <laughs> uh, so after they told them that they had proof showing that he actually bought the bike, uh, he immediately changed the story and said, like, Oh, no, I sold that bike years ago to someone and I can't remember their name. Of course. Uh, yeah. But you do remember I said, like, the only, like, smidgen of a clue they had was the bike repairman. Yeah. He positively identified Light uh, in a uh, witness parade. <laughs> no. As the man who came in it the same... It was simpler back then. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um for repairs of a green bicycle on the day of Bella's murder. Yep. Uh, <laughs> That's insane. Mm-hmm. So with this, they could push more. Uh, they interviewed the household staff at Light's mother's home, okay. uh, where he apparently lived, and they told the police that uh, on the night of the murder, he had apparently come home very late. Also, not entirely sure how they remember that, unless they actually suspected him when the news broke. But uh, he, he had come home very late, claimed that his bike had broken down, and he had to push it home, and apparently had also destroyed and or sold all the clothing he had worn that day. Um, this is just dodgy, isn't it? That's why so, you remember, because the guy came home at midnight with a whole bunch of excuses and no trousers on. Yeah, <laughs> or burned the clothes afterwards, that's, that's true. Um, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> so a bit later in March police were yeah they were not giving up on this and they actually were still working on uh, dredging the canals and they managed to find the holster for an army pistol in the canal not in the same place but same canal they couldn't find an actual weapon but the there were bullets in the holster which matched the caliber of the murder weapon i mean it's really not sounding great it's all kind of getting pieced together so, like, presented with all of this, um, Light claimed that he had, um, like, chosen not to come forward with a police request. Yeah. Um, and all the, both police and media appeals, uh, partially to avoid worrying his ailing mother, um, or mostly because of that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah we like the mum. <laughs> yeah. And he also, after a while, admitted that in October... 1990 Mm -hmm. he had taken his bicycle which he had for some reason for a long period stored in the attic Uh, he took his bicycle filed off the serial numbers dismantled it and tossed it over the edge of the upperton road bridge in leicester Um, and just like throwing in each part of the bike separately uh, into the river sore what are the chances that barge would pull off a piece anyway like they're not that big. And I mean, it took a while, so there might have been a lot of traffic there. But, you know, it's, it's a good thing and a lucky thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 1920 in June, the 8th of June, the trial started. Okay. And Ronald pled not guilty for the murder of, of Bella Wright. Uh, so, uh, Light's basic strategy was basically immediately during the trial admitted to everything that had been like proven with evidence or testimonies. I mean, that's probably the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, be also it included stuff that would technically be felonies, like lying to the police when he was arrested, disposing his bicycle, and even the holster and bullets. He claimed that, no, no, they were mine, and I tossed them, and I was with Bella the night of her death. Whoa! But he pled not guilty and said that he did not murder her because he did not admit to possessing any kind of army revolver and not admitting to killing Bella. 
the explanation he gave for most of his action was that he just like panicked and he assumed that the general thoughts of you know the man on the green bike must have been the killer he thought that he would basically be lynched or wrongfully convicted if he had come forward at any time okay um and the uh, defense was doing pretty good work they even got like an expert witness in the claim that the bullet that killed bella could have come from either revolver or rifle everyone assumed a revolver uh, and it could also have been like either a stray shot or a ricochet from a larger distance okay. than what they initially thought so it could mean yeah that's what i thought so like in the end the the court could not get past the level of reasonable doubt and that's also kind of fair enough i i do kind of agree even though it's i mean it's kind dodgy of as anything but. <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah, so after like hours and hours of liberations, the verdict was said as not guilty. Yeah. And Light basically lived out the rest of his life as a free man. He married a widow called uh, Lillian Lester and uh, lived with her, helped raise her stepdaughter uh, until he lived on until he died in 1975, aged 89 years. 1975? Mm-hmm. He lived a long life. Yep. And like no I'm, I'm not sure about the widow, but for instance, the uh, stepdaughter never knew about this entire story at all oh. until after his death. That would be a weird one to find out. Kind of. I'd be dying to ask. Like <laughs> you would, yeah. I'd be like. Hmm. So, yeah, we, a lot of this looks obvious, but the reasonable doubt and there like, is there is for sure reasonable doubt, and it hmm. doesn't explain motive at all. Do you have any ideas? So the main motive that people were assuming was that he was courting her, he was getting way too pushy, and she kind of spurned or spurned his advances or something like that, and he got angry, and there was a fight, and he shot her or something like that. That was the most common thought, at least well, mostly back in the day, if you're thinking straightforward, he did it. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of other theories as well. Uh, so... One of the ones that came through the um, the ballistics expert who p- people weren't too happy or convinced about that either, but apparently okay. it was enough for the court. The, you remember the blood smear on the cattle gate thing? Yeah, yeah. Apparently there were also some other things like they found some crows lying dead nearby or a crow lying dead nearby. Okay. And one of the speculations that are still... Uh, one of the stronger theories is like, no, no, but if he didn't do it, it might have been like kids out, uh, you know, shooting uh, crows. Would they use in the a field. real gun for that? Well, You'd use a pellet gun, 1919. Right? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. To me, it seems a stretch, but. But yes, yeah, so like uh, boys shooting crows was one theory that has kind of gone through to this day. There is, however, one thing, and it was digging with this, I could not find like. Any kind of proper confirmation, of course, that would have gotten up in the press because, like this, this case is still brought up uh, as we're getting closer to like the uh, century anniversary, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but I think the last news coverage of this was maybe like two years ago or so, which is still quite surprising. Yeah, yeah but it is apparently a big mystery that's gotten stuck. Uh, but several sources do mention that. Basically, there were rumors that there was a kind of a signed confession mm-hmm. um, or more in lines of a note written by the Leicester superintendent of police that claimed that after the trial he had spoken to Light, Light had confessed to accidentally killing Bella. As in, yeah, he had a gun and he was either going to show it or he fumbled or something and it went off by mistake. And supposedly... He either made the note himself, as in the superintendent of police did, uh, or he did like one in conjunction with uh, Light and got it signed as a confession and then supposedly locked it away and then it never reappeared. I mean, you'd think with all the work they went to to find out who owned the pea green bicycle, they'd if they had a confession, they'd whap it out. One would think so, yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know, but apparently this is definitely the most popular theory going around now, and I can't quite see it. But um, like, yeah, I can see the scenario. I just can't see the whole 
admitting it right after the trial and then doing the written note and the police locking it up. Yeah. That's a bit weird to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's my mystery with way too much evidence. And, I really yeah. liked it. And I'm curious, and I want to Google it some more, and I hope it's solved. <laughs> it's apparently classic. Uh, you hope it's solved? Yeah, I hope it's solved someday. Oh, oh, someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, Who knows? Like, uh, there was actually, I think the most, one of the most recent ones did mention that a lot of, um, I guess, historians by now were like pushing that, no, no, we need to dig even deeper in the canals, because if we actually find the gun in there we'll know more about what happened but you won't will you i mean it's it's a hundred years you can yeah yeah it's yeah no i i mean i guess if they could find a gun and actually link it to the time and place that it would have been dumped there then okay yes that would point to that light actually had the gun and he was getting away because he didn't but i i just I think if they find the gun and it turned out to be linked to him, what's it going to do? Tell us almost the exact same stuff we have right now. It's not really going to matter. Pretty much, but... I No, I, I think you'd need something more compelling. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was full of bullshit when it came to the... Um, uh, like, oh yeah, yeah, it was my bike, I did this, I did this, I had the holster, I had the ammunition, never seen a gun, why are you talking about a gun, not my gun, that is a bit... Yeah, mm. no, I'd need something uh, a lot more compelling, kind of like a witness, or, yeah, like a witness. Or a signed confession. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that a signed confession would do it for me, I'm so skeptical of confessions. Yeah, true. But it, this is actually one case where I would find it easier to admit it because uh, to accept it because it was if it was a signed confession of someone who was already like acquitted and went free. Yeah. Then like, no, it's not like they could have taken him in and beating it, beaten it out of him afterwards or coerced him. There would be no reason except for wanting to tell the truth. I suppose. Yeah, maybe you're right. Hmm. Well, Maybe I'm naive. No, I don't know. I like that one. What do you think, dear listeners? Yeah. I'm Am curious. I naive? Tell us. Do we need a gun? Yeah, what would convince you? Hmm. Mm. On that note, I think we should say goodbye. <laughs> I think so. It's Friday. It's time to get out and uh, shake various things, possibly cocktail shakers or yeah, who knows. Yeah. You, you go do that. I'm going to stay on the sofa with the cat and <laughs> really oh, I do envy you. enjoy myself. I need a shaky cat. Oh, <sighs> a shaky cat. Something to shake. Oh dear. No, no, someone to join me in shaking adventures. Oh. We can nice. do have like a little conga with shaky, shaky, shaky. I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Ignore me. I know. I, uh, I enjoyed that. That was wonderful. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it it is the weekend. Mm -hmm. We hope it's a good one for you. Mm -hmm. It's been um, a good Friday. It has been a good Friday. And uh, we'll see you again on Tuesday. Yeah. In the meantime, hit us up on Twitter at Crime by the Bar. Mm -hmm. Or send an email to crimebythebar at gmail.com. And you can get some fun extras at crimebythebar.com. Perfect. We'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> Have a great weekend and bye. Bye. I, you know what, I, I'm just, I'm so used to um, heteronormative, monogonormative people. Monogonormative? I've never heard it, but I like it. Monogonormative. <laughs> it's like those people who think it's normal to be monogamous. Fucking squares, fucking everyone has to fit in their little tiny shoebox. Shoebox monogamous? I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Fucking boxers. Fucking boxers. Um, nice. Um, 